Welcome to the DHG podcast series with a focus on life beyond numbers with topics about people, careers and flexibility. And now, here's your host, our Director of Corporate Communications and All Things Fun, Alice Gray Harrison. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Life at DHG. This is our special podcast series, and we are celebrating Black history. I'm Alice Gray Harrison, your host, and I really love this podcast venue because we get to focus on our life beyond numbers with stories about flexibility, careers, and of course, our people. As I said, we're celebrating Black History Month, and we're doing so in a variety of ways, um, including celebrating some of our own DHG heroes. In this series, we're going to highlight some extraordinary Black team members. Joining me today is Norlin Evans. Norlin joined the firm in 2016, and since he's been at the firm, he's served um, a variety of different clients and has worked in both our Atlanta, Georgia, and Metro D.C. markets. His passion for coaching and mentoring has been second to none, and he has had a significant impact on many careers over his career, over his own career. How about that? Over the years, we are beyond excited that Norlin is now going to hang up his client serving hat and work with us on inclusion and diversity efforts. Norlin will be a champion of our mission. And Norlin will add significant value and perspective to our inclusion and diversity efforts in his new role. Welcome, Norlin. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So as I mentioned in the intro, you've coached and mentored many during your career. And so I think I'd be remiss not to kick this off by asking you, how did you achieve success and what can we learn from the path you paved? Well, I've learned that as a leader, Coaching and mentoring are my most important responsibilities. Didn't always start out that that way when I started working, but over the years, I've come to realize that. And more, especially in our business, where what we sell is knowledge and expertise. Okay? Yeah. And there's only so much our staff can learn from books and classes. What I found is that you really have to sit aside, spend some time one-on-one and invest that time in understanding, you know, where the individual team members are in regards to the level of knowledge and their capabilities. One day you may be working with the senior. Next time you're working with the senior manager, you could be working someone that's just coming to the firm. Mm. And each one is different and that knowledge and expertise so then once, once you do that, then you have to provide them uh, with the opportunities and, and knowledge to learn and to, and to grow, okay? And I've you know, been a, not been afraid of, of, of gently pushing them um, to, to, to you know, run point, take leadership roles early in their career. Sometimes I heard, man, Norla, I, I can't do that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I say, okay, I'm not going to leave you out here to try but, you know, sometimes we, 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 you know, we're working with clients and then we figure I'm the leader. I need to, like, run the, run the meeting. But I think what happened was I met this partner years ago who, in one office, they wouldn't take younger people out on sales calls. Mm. But this other office, this senior partner, real senior partner, 30-year partner, he would take us out. And we would be prepared and we'd make sure we have something to say. 
but you'd have to be put in those positions to really get the feel of it and understand what kind of questions they're going to ask and have, you know, the comfort level and the confidence to be able to, to speak to the clients. So that's where you provide their opportunities and give them a chance to, to shine. That, that's really great. Yeah, and I've not been afraid to, to gently push them to run point and take leadership roles earlier in the career. You know, and it's also important to provide immediate feedback yeah. and further coaching we need right now. Now, well, we'll get together. You know, let me tell you, let me pull you aside. Here's my, my view on that. Yes. And you, and you have to have patience, you know, um, and being willing to invest the time because it, it takes, it's very time consuming. And, you know, finally, it's, uh, you know, I peruse LinkedIn. I have quite a few uh, contacts and, and I keep track of them. And it's so wonderful to see what they're achieving these days. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, Susie is now the head of this. Joey is now running that. And I want to reach out to, to touch them. They probably won't remember who I, who I am. Oh, I bet they will. But it's just it's really great to see that, you know, uh, and see that their, their careers have taken off and, and they're contributing even beyond work and, and society and things that they're doing. Yeah, you know, it's such a confidence builder to know that you can take a risk, but somebody's got your back to make sure that you don't fall. That's really great. Yeah, that's important. So I mentioned this, I think, in my intro. You came to DHG from industry. And so you shared with me earlier about how vastly different it is to work in public accounting. So what do people need to understand? Maybe it's somebody just starting their career or maybe it's somebody moving over from industry. But to be successful in public accounting, what do people need to know? Well, I think there's a lot to learn. When I've got into, into public accounting, I didn't know what I would expect. You know, it was an opportunity. Hey, you know. Learn some new things here. Probably the, the, the client-serving culture was new and challenging, you know? Mm. All, uh, before in industry, you, maybe you had a, a multi-divisional company, mm-hmm. but it was pretty much in a similar industry. Mm-hmm. But providing services to so many clients, particularly in, a, in, a, in advisory, mm-hmm. it's more advisory because, you know, an assurance, maybe you're a financial services person. Right. The advisory, one day I'm at a factory, next day I'm at a bank. Next day, I'm at a telecommunications company, you know, large, multinational. I've worked on Fortune 50, you know, Fortune 1,000 companies, very diverse. And you need to get up to speed quickly. And that's something, you know, I didn't experience. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, all right. But it's important to get up to speed quickly on their business and the external factors impacting them, you know. The client expects us in this business to be expert with all the answers, and they want timely uh, answers to their questions. When I was uh, first got in, uh, worked for a fairly you know uh, big clients, and every morning I get a news feed for my key clients related to their industry and what's going on in the in, in that particular business. I was taught to exceed the client's expectations. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I thought was new that I didn't realize I'd be getting into is learn about business development aspect of the job. I had no idea that as I progressed, this would become an integral part of my job. And I, I just I just took to it. I remember the first time I had to scope a job, you know, for, it was for a prison. <laughs> we were wow. Work for and, I, and, the, and the party said, all right, let's figure out what, how much is it going to cost? I'm like, well, I didn't know what the heck I was doing before, you know. 
But you you know, it was it was good. I had to learn uh, the various services that we provide. Mm-hmm. You know, then working on the business development side, you know, was new. Identifying potential clients, working on proposals, getting into the marketplace, client business facing presentations, conducting training. Building up your network and your relationships. Mm-hmm. I'll say that again. Building up your network and relationships, <laughs> <laughs> you know, is so important. You know, we've got tools to do that now. That is better. Uh, but still, even the tool, you need to reach out and talk to somebody. You know, we kind of forget about the days of speaking to people. Oh, I'll just shoot them an email. No. No. Put an extra mile and have a conversation, you know. And then, you know, what are your kids doing? What's, what's going on in your life, you know? And, um, you know, once, once you've won that work, you get in there and then you deliver and you exceed the client's expectation. I, I guess also internally, I learned the importance of being known in the firm. Mm. And that didn't occur to me. Somebody pulled me aside once and said, how many partners do you know? I said, just you. <laughs> 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 and, uh, so how many uh, uh, engagement uh, planning meetings have you been to? I said none. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I was put on a track. I did training. I, I, I went to uh, planning meetings for the clients. You know, and after a while, I assumed more responsibilities and, and got more visibility in the firm and got greater exposure. And uh, that's very, very important in our business. That's great advice. I, I've never really thought about that. That's that's very good. Yeah, it, it, it was key to me. I mean, that, that changed my career, you know, having those conversations uh, with that partner. You know, I went on to do training, firm-wide mm-hmm. training, and new initiatives. We want to start a new service line. You know, I worked on a project where I traveled all over the country. Mm working with different people and then we just say okay we're going to make this a service line okay wow then we're going to come back and sell it <laughs> i was like oh wow this is cool yeah <laughs> that's when it gets fun right yes that's that's right it's like uh, does this account balance okay you know <laughs> yeah there's a lot more to this business uh, once you you know kind of get your teeth into it and start moving up the ranks Yes, absolutely. Well, you've given me a good segue here, Norlin. So you are known around the firm as being the client service guy, you know, and and you just talked about it. So that, you know, is clear. How do you think that that focus on client service has helped you further advance your career? It's been, it's the hallmark of, of what we do. You know, in an industry, I kind of kind of exposed to it in industry because we use the term internal clients. We identify, you know, with different internal departments. We interact with, sometimes we have good relations, sometimes we don't, but there's still instances that it could be challenging. And so, you know, I had kind of got introduced to that there. But but it's basically understanding that our, you know, your clients' needs and expectations and, but most importantly, exceeding those expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, each client is unique in its culture and, and, and its leadership and in expectations. So you have to adjust your approach accordingly to service that client. One size doesn't fit all. You know, I was in entertainment business and you go in and people are, are playing around and having a good time sitting on the meeting table, <laughs> you know, like at the Cartoon Network and you know, then I go to another bank and it's all stodgy, you know, <laughs> you know, very 
tight laced and no straight agenda, you know? Right. <laughs> and, and so you have to be able to adjust, you know, and, and your approach and accordingly, because one side doesn't fit all. And then, you know, you get, you deliver service through your team. So you have to train your, your team and the importance of, of their client service and what's their responsibility. Cause some new person was, shoot, I don't, I'm just here in the trenches. You know, I said, yeah, but that's going to be important. Okay. And, and so listen, be responsive, bring your best talent to the table. Uh, one of the other things that I, I found effective is implement a quality program to assess the client satisfaction. You know, we do that at the firm here. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it becomes a perfunctory thing, but it's really, really important uh, to realize that that's coming and understand if you're meeting your client's needs. Um, you don't want to wait till they get the satisfaction survey and, and then cross your fingers and, you know, hope for the best. Right. But, you know, it should be measurable results, action plans uh, to make sure that you're providing exceeding the client's expectations, not just meeting them. That's awesome. Awesome advice. Okay, now I'm going to get a little personal. Hope you don't mind. Okay. Oh, all right. Um, so tell me about, like, I always like to ask this because I think this is how you get to know people. What What's your hobby? What What do you like to do? I just like to find time to read and relax mm-hmm. a little bit, get mm-hmm. my mind, you know, off of, off of work. Sometimes I like uh, ag nature, walking through the forests and such. And I grew up in California, so I was a beach guy. And, and I can't find a beach in Atlanta right now, so uh, <laughs> the, the lakes are like a good <laughs> setup. But but I just like getting outdoors, particularly, you know, with, with near water. It just kind of, you know, you're under a lot of stress and, and work and all of that. And sometimes just getting out in the air, getting out and walking and, and then taking in nature, uh, I find that to be, uh, really relaxing and give me a chance to kind of re-energize and uh, have a fresh perspective when I when I get back into the into the work streams again. That's awesome. One of the things that you and I talked a bit about, we caught up before before the recording, was your love of the news and the media. Tell us about that. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, that's a that's a kind of interesting story. Um, yeah, I call myself a news junkie, and I've always been passionate about keeping up with what's going on in the world, uh, in my community, and in country. And coincidentally, as I started thinking about that, you know, my first job when I was 10 years old was selling newspapers, <laughs> a black, black newspaper called The Sentinel in my community. Wow. <laughs> so that was my introduction to, to news, you know. And, and who knew that years later, I actually went to work for the Los Angeles Times newspaper, and Turner Broadcasting Media Company. Wow. Accounting and finance roles. So, you know, so we had the editorial side of the business that, you know, we had to kind of understand our brand and what was about and what was going on. So, you know, the LA Times had a view, you know, but then Turner, you had CNN had a view. And so I've always tried to, to see different sides of a story in order to get a broader perspective of the issues. You know, one person say, oh, I only look at this news channel. I only read this newspaper. I think that's that's very limiting. Right. Here, you know, and then I'm, you know, I've traveled a lot. Fortunately, I've had the luck of doing that. So I'm interested in what's going on in the, in the whole world. 
you know, so uh, I look at BBC. They have a beautiful site, talks about things going on all over the world. But, you know, things are not always black and white. Mm-hmm. You know? And so there's some gray areas in there sometimes. So I sometimes yeah, I have to force myself to look at something I don't particularly believe in. Right. <laughs> but I go, I got to go out there for a minute and just kind of see. Man, because there could be credibility gaps and and so you need to be diligent and open-minded in your assessments and and this passion in me to hear all sides has helped me i think to be more effective in, in serving clients and and uh, the ability to coach individuals and, and our and teams i've been associated with i think that's just fascinating because it's hard you're right it's hard to listen to the news if they you know, aren't on the same side as you. And then it's hard to know, you know, to discern what, what's true and what's not true. And maybe that wasn't the case, you know, 40 years ago, but certainly is today, isn't it? That's much more polarized, you know, it's just gotten to be, I've never seen anything as as bad as it is now, you know, and uh, so I don't know. I think we've got a ways to go. I I look at the younger generation there's hope right because my sons are in their mid early 20s and they have a wide variety of friends and they have a very open view of the world and you know society and you know that's why I was able lucky to, to have them travel where they could see mm-hmm. you know, different aspects of the of the world and be more global in their perspective of understanding things and the impact and so I'm a bit fortunate that I've been able to provide them that that, and I see it in their in their in their age group. You know, when they come out and hang out, they're, they're much more open minded than I think I even was at my age. So I I'm glad to see that that they're they're giving that a chance for them to grow and develop like that. That's great. Well, um, I just have one more question for you. You are for sure my new hero um, and for sure a hero here at DHG. But who's your hero? Tell us about your hero. I'm a veteran. Okay, so I served uh, in, the, in the military for a while. And my hero is uh, uh, Benjamin O. Davis Jr. He was the first black general in the Air Force which he joined in 1947. The interesting thing about uh, Benjamin Davis Jr. is that uh, he entered West Point uh, in 1932 as its only black cadet. And he spent four years being shunned. He roomed alone, he ate alone, no one befriended him. Okay, he considered himself the invisible man. And, you know, he was both just silenced, you know, and it was a coordinating kind of a shunning usually reserved for cadets that, you know, violate the honor code. He roomed by himself. And his fellow cadets spoke to him only as needed. For him to come through and make it through that, four years of that, is just a testament to perseverance, you know. He refused to, to let them get him down, you know. You know, he had to do things on his own, you know, listen to radio, wrote letters and stuff. Ultimately, he graduated 35th in his class. Wow. Of 276. And he died uh, in 2018, I mean, 2002, the age of 89. And his, you know, his resume, including commanding the all-black fighter group known as the Red Tails, becoming the first black general of the Air Force, and retired as a three-star general. And um, as a, uh, he was, uh, they named a barracks at, after him. At wow. Wow. Here recently. But for someone that 
you know, it's a lot of times in life we, we put in a situation where the environment that we're in is, is tough to handle. And I've been in environments like that. But to see what he did, being the only one and putting up with all that and still able to overcome and persevere, that's why he's my hero. That is terrific. And I am so happy to know about it. So thank you for sharing a little bit about your hero with us. Oh, no problem. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Yes, and thank you for your time and joining us and celebrating Black History Month with us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You got it. Well, thank you all for listening to Life at DHG, our premier podcast series. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll tell your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our DHG blog for more stories about our heroes and about our life beyond numbers. Join us next time for another edition of Life at DHG. 